I just wanted to quickly intro Josh's talks. Today's a little bit different. It's not uh, a recording of the exact sermon that he's going to give uh, at our in-person services today. Uh, instead, it's it's a couple of talks that he gave at Vineyard conferences nationally over the past five years. Uh, and I wanted to intro them for you. And then after Josh talks, his wife, Tina uh, Williams, is going to lead us in worship, which is really good. Uh, and I think you're just going to be really blessed by this time of worship. So I'm excited uh, that you get to experience what we're going to be experiencing in person as well. Uh, grateful that you're connecting with us in this way. So real quick, Josh's talks. His first talk that I'm putting out there is, is from a Vineyard Conference in 2018, and he called it uh, Kingdom Cultural Competence. So he's looking at Acts and uh, starting to dig into this idea of why multicultural from the, from the Bible, which is a good place to start. The second talk is from 2016. It's from the CosCon Conference, which is a young adults conference uh, that the Vineyard put on for several years. And it's how multi-ethnic communities surprise people into following Jesus. Uh, and I want to just throw out there that in the second talk, especially Josh is going to talk about, um, Michael Brown, uh, when, when he was shot in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, he's going to talk, uh, about Black Lives Matter and, and his stories are coming from a place of processing together. So when you hear these things, I want to encourage you, if these are things that immediately bring up politics. Can you close that off for a little bit? Listen to the heart of what it is that he's saying and ask Jesus what Jesus is saying to you. I know Josh. I know Josh isn't saying this from a political standpoint. Uh, so I want to ask you uh, respectfully uh, to look at it from that angle as well. I think Jesus has good things to say to us in this. And I'm excited about the word that Josh has for us in the time of worshiping together. So without further ado, let's hear from Josh. Rather than sharing about another kind of example of cultural competence in, in our day, I want to go back to the book. I want to go back to this ancient story. So we see that it's present in that story. It's not just today's headlines. So we're going to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. We have a great example of how community faced ethnic tension and somehow pursued kingdom cultural competence and with it spurred on the growth of the church. So if your phones, your Bibles, you can turn to that. Here's how it starts. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Let's break some things down. The Hellenistic Jews are the Greek-speaking Jews. They're a culturally specific minority group. And the Hebrew, the Hebraic Jews, are the majority. They speak Hebrew. And the Hellenistic ones complained about the treatment of their widows in a community that, if you've read Acts, is famous for a community that had everything in common, where all the needs were met, I guess except for, for these, right? We love the Bible reason, but wait, it did say that. It said everything in common. But then someone's getting left out. That's sin. That's wrong. The early church had a schism that could have been devastating. But instead of just seeing sin, the disciples saw opportunity. They saw an opportunity that required culturally competent kingdom leadership. 
And instead of just adding a, just another group, right, to their list of people they were caring for, the disciples said, let's think about this in a different way. And they came up with a more creative solution. You can pick up in two. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I'd like to think here that the disciples don't abdicate from responsibilities because they're the majority group, but instead because they know their ministry to the word serves Hebraic and Hellenistic Jews alike. And they're thinking, I think there's another way we could solve this problem. In an act of creativity and empowerment, the disciples ask the community, right? The disciples don't pick. They ask the community, how about you guys pick seven men? full of the spirit, full of wisdom. And these folks, these seven actually become the wave of who God uses next to expand his church. Again, just keep reading Acts. You see these names pop up again. The disciples actually publicly gather in front of everyone and they bless the seven men the community picked. And the disciples publicly give away leadership. They publicly give away authority. After the complaint is levied, and sin is acknowledged, miraculously, these different groups, the disciples, the widows, the Hellenistic servants, and all of the entire community, they're thankful. They're not angry. They're not upset. They're not tense. They're not mad at each other. The proposal pleased the whole group, it says in verse 5. They chose Stephen. They chose Philip. They chose five others. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Something changed in this Acts community. The bad behavior we see at the beginning of the text, it didn't define the whole story. In fact, it seems the whole group actually is better off than before. The conflict led to something new the word of God spreading through a multi-ethnic witness. And not just these powerful multi-ethnic witnesses we see, not just the smiling multi-ethnic witnesses, but actually the tension, actually the problems, actually the sin, the brokenness. That's how it spread. The community practiced kingdom cultural competence, and it started with failure. Is this in the playbook of your church growth strategy? Is this in your notes about how you want to increase the leadership development pipeline in your church? Is this on the whiteboard for the mercy ministry vision? What if God's calling for you? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us from our trespasses and those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Jesus taught us this prayer. At its heart, we see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We see a picture of the kingdom in the book of Revelation. What does it look like? Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people. This is the kingdom of God, and we are kingdom people. This reality has been important for us in the vineyard. As we prayed for God's kingdom to come, 
and seen healing, deliverance, and salvation. But what else has come with these prayers? We've seen failure, and lots of it. I remember reading John Wimber's Power Healing when I first got into the vineyard and being astonished by the spectacular promise that God had for him for healing, and then amazed and confused by the spectacular failure that was around him immediately. When he prayed for people, they remained sick. In fact, they got worse. People who prayed for others actually got those same sicknesses that they were praying against. This didn't happen one time or even for a few weeks, but it happened for 10 months. That's a lot of failure. But failure also shows what you care about. And John Wimber cared about a healing ministry that restored the hurting, surprised folks into following Jesus, and glorified the living God. Are we willing to risk failure in order to see kingdom diversity grow in our churches and our towns? More and more, I see us in the vineyard desiring to grow from our lily-white roots to obey Jesus in his call to make a disciple community, one of all people groups. Are we willing to speak into divisions and to places where we don't see this kingdom diversity and say, Lord, let your kingdom come? What if we failed? Perhaps one time, maybe for a few weeks, 10 months or beyond. What would we do? Would we give up? Are we convicted and convinced that a multi-ethnic community restores the hurting, that it surprises folks into following Jesus, that it glorifies the living God? I'm convinced that if we're serious about this call to seek reconciliation through the local church, that we must be ready not to just embrace different colors of people, but different stories unlike our own. I saw these differences come to life in the fall of 2014, when a spate of killings by police, mostly of unarmed black men, flashed across newspapers and news feeds, in our hearts and in our minds. This came to a head with the non-indictment of Darren Wilson in the case of Mike Brown, the 18-year-old unarmed black man who was shot dead. While this non-indictment sparked protest and arrest, my newsfeed was filled with words of peace, praying for peace for Ferguson, peace for St. Louis, peace for our nation. And I wondered, what exactly did this word peace mean? Was it comfort? Was it just the absence of property damage for one night? when the reality was that tears had fallen days in and days out for family, neighbors, and churchgoers who were the victims of racialized violence. That Sunday, I preached on Ephesians 2 in the message that Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Peace cost Jesus his life. He killed hostility by subjecting himself to hostility. Peace was not a slogan for Jesus. It cost him more than 140 characters. What are we willing to give up for peace? What are we willing to give up for kingdom diversity? What if our church with beautiful, smiling, diverse faces cannot be made until we break our bodies to expose the ugliness of racism and the enemy's plan to distort the image of God in our bodies? Some people had issues with my message. I had been too political. I was too nice. I had misused a passage about personal salvation and turned it into one about systemic injustice. I didn't go far enough. And what about Mike Brown and the fact that he was a common criminal? What about the fact that it was just a message? What could that do in our world? 
This is the chorus you hear when God develops a multi-ethnic community that's deep and real. One where the differences aren't just skin deep, but it's worldview, it's life experiences, it's what's intuitively right or appropriate to people. But somehow Jesus still has promised that he can reconcile us in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Jesus is still the king of this multi-ethnic kingdom. Are we willing to fail forward in the vineyard as we pursue this costly reconciliation? This past January, I went to the Urbana Mission Conference in St. Louis with Multiply Vineyard. Being vineyard folk, we laughed, prayed, ate lots of food, uh, and we went to the conference a little bit. We only went to one session together, and can you pull up the picture of the, uh, the session that we went to? It was it this night uh, that the speaker spoke of the Black Lives Matter movement and what it means for us as followers of Jesus of all ethnicities to stand alongside this message that black lives matter. Afterwards, we debriefed the session as a vineyard family. Why were some of us so happy about this? Why were some of us so uncomfortable? We all wanted the vineyard to be more ethnically diverse, but some of us were squeamish and some of us were celebrating. Maybe we're experiencing this tonight here as a CauseCon family. We hashed it out for hours. We shared personal stories. We confessed prejudices. And we said, we haven't really had this conversation before in the vineyard. Why was that? We left knowing that peace would have to be an active affair. We had to create room for more failure, more room for God to do miraculous things among us. Simply put, we had to obey God. We had a chance right away to say yes. Uh, a person actually came to us and said, do we want to take a tour of Ferguson? We actually went to the spot, and you can go to the next picture, where Mike Brown's body lay. It's a square just of dark black tar where his body lay there for four and a half hours, laying untouched. I felt God inviting me to speak, so I said, in the vineyard we do L-shaped listening, so let's listen to God and see what God was saying. We heard that this is a place that's not far from the reality of our churches. This is our town, the day before a tragedy. We heard we live in a world of spiritual blindness. The vineyard is called to bring the miraculous power of Jesus to heal structural blindness. We heard, death, where is your sting? Then we were quiet. There were no words until we began to speak the words that Jesus had taught us. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is here. It's worth succeeding for, and it's worth failing for. There'll be failure, failure where we feel like we hurt people's feelings, failure where we won't listen to other voices, but we need to still keep going. We must act, not just for diverse faces in our pews, but for the redemption of tribes that have yearned and longed for justice, for the dignity of languages that have not been heard, for the wholeness of nations that must open their borders and finally live in a kingdom where we will be strangers.